listening to Now Playing Podcast, the Children of the Corn series, guest starring Isaac, John Franklin. Let us give thanks to he who walks behind the rose, who protects our crops. The God of sacrifice. The God who walked on the face of the earth. He who walks behind the rose. speak to me in my dreams, and God has told me that it is now our time, time to make sacrifice, time to kill. Welcome to Now Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series. It is written, a leader will come from the corn. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King movie review series. I offer this to he who walks behind the rose. Hosted by Stuart. This is my game. I've played it before and on better courts than yours. Jacob. He thought he had great spirit. And Arnie. Question me not, Malachi. I act according to his will. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review based on the works of Stephen King. I've read the book, and for the first time in my life I know my purpose. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Did your mother teach you how to talk like that? Only when your name came up. Listener discretion is advised. The time of judgment is now at hand. Let Let the harvest harvest begin. Outlander! We have your podcast! Today we're discussing Children of the Corn 2. The final sacrifice. As if. <laughs> Liars! Liars! <laughs> Infidels! This is not the final sacrifice. We're going to have seven more. We don't know if anyone dies. Maybe nobody gets sacrificed. Ah, oh, that that will make it even worse if no one dies in the next seven. <laughs> Starring Terrence Knox, Paul Scherer, Ryan Bowman, Ned Romero, Christy Clark. Ooh, Christy Clark from Days of Our Lives. Yes. Directed by David Price. This is Arnie, he who sins most vigorously. Stuart in L.A. And this is he who podcasts behind the rose, Jacob. So why release a sequel at a time when horror is big when you can come out in 1992? January 93, actually, is when this got a short theatrical release. I wanted to say this may be the only time for the rest of this series where we have a movie that did visit movie houses. I remember the ads. I was puzzled by the ads because it had all that computer graphic stuff that happens at the end. I actually thought it was the Lawnmower Man. I don't <laughs> know if you've seen the trailer but they really sell it like job from the lawnmower man it's a crossover that's the one walking behind the rose are you sure this went to theaters again yes my book creep show the illustrated stephen king movie guide said that this was originally set to open on halloween in 92 and dimension decided at the last minute to shuttle it to video in january 93 Oh, okay. Well, I'm not sure about when the date is, but it did play at my local... I was in college at the time. There was a college theater. They did play it. I walked right by it as I went in to go see, I don't know, The Fugitive or something else. 
Well, I don't remember this in theaters. I remember first seeing this when it was on video in 93 and going, yeah, I kind of remember that corn film. I like slashers. I'll watch it. Plus, I mean, why they made it, the rights had changed hands. Initially, it was New World. Well, the rights ended up getting sold and Transatlantic Entertainment took up the ownership. Transatlantic had a partnership with Miramax where their genre sub channel dimension films yeah miramax would have nothing to do with this movie they were art films that won oscars at the time but dimension might touch this well dimension was a branch of miramax a genre branch and here's something interesting i didn't realize until researching part two for return on investment children of the corn held the record for the most successful king film it cost so little that what it made was so many times more that it was deemed a ripe opportunity. Plus, in the early 90s, direct-to-video really started to hit. The late 80s, direct-to-video market was a bit more shaky. It was really for theatrical stuff that couldn't make it. In the 90s, you really started getting your Witchblades, your Leprechauns, all that kind of crap that they could just put one after another. Until Scream made it legit again, horror went underground. After it all kind of peaked in 1989, there just weren't slasher movies. It became serial killers is really what happened. And it was unfashionable to have an 80s slasher type scenario. Now, they made this back to back. You know how like Necropolis and Rave to the Grave were made back to back. Well, this was before the internet. So before Romania was really good, but they decided back to back to make Children of the Corn 2 with Hellraiser 3. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me they made it back-to-back with the third one. I was like, oh, shit, then there's no hope for it getting better. All right. What? It's just like Lord of the Rings with Peter Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? It's the same crew? It's the same what? Yes, the same crew in the same town in North Carolina. Oh, wow. And in fact... I believe that the director of Children of the Corn 2 was a writer on Hellraiser 3, and the writer on Hellraiser 3 was a director of Children of the Corn 2, something like that. There was a lot of cross-pollination going on between these two films. Not of cast, but of crew. Oh, okay. Well, too bad we couldn't get a crossover. I'd love to see these little fuckers strung up with on hooks for this movie, <laughs> but all right. We have such rows to show you. But, yeah, North Carolina, that's one thing that's evident. The last movie, it shot in California, but did some pickups in the Midwest. Actually, no, reverse. The last movie was shot almost completely in Iowa with some pickups in L.A. Even better, proving my point, it had authenticity about where it was set. This looks nothing like the last movie. We're expected to believe this is still Gatlin and the neighboring town of Hemingford, but it looks nothing like that area. In fact, it's all green. It's it's very distracting. There's forests. It's trees. I'm like, no, this is wrong. But it isn't the only thing they got wrong. At one point, they mentioned hills. Again, I've driven through Nebraska. That place is flat. Our ideas of hills are a little different than <laughs> people on the outliers. Well, Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We can get through this. I mean, get into it. (laughs) Though in our world, it's been many years since the events of Children of the Corn Part 1, this story picks up just days later as the orphaned children of Gatlin, Nebraska are being gathered together and taken to new homes. The belief is that the cult run by Isaac and Malachi was the cause of the murders and these children just need a little time to adjust. They're taken in by kindly families in the neighboring town of Hemingford. 
One child, Micah, is taken in by Angela, a comely brunette who owns the bed and breakfast, but also taken into the B&B is tabloid reporter John Garrett, there to report on the Gatlin murders, and in tow is his estranged 18-year-old son, Danny. One night, walking in the field, Micah is taken by he who walks behind the rose and becomes the new leader of the child cult, with his second-in-command being the murderous Mordecai. And no, that's not the regular (laughs) show Bluebird. Or Malachi. It's funny how just one syllable is, is a whole lot different, though. They systematically begin to murder the adults in the town, making it look like freak accidents. But while investigating, John meets a local anthropology professor, Frank Redbear. A Native American, of course, <laughs> who helps John uncover a conspiracy in Hemingford. They have toxic corn! <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense in this one. I love it. It all comes together. I am so sorry for asking for answers about this cult, because it just keeps getting worse. But don't you see? This toxic corn with this mold, they're going to mix it with the good corn and sell it, even though it can kill people. Plus, the airborne spores can drive people mad, especially the children. Wait, is this the happening? (laughs) (laughs) So let me understand it. The kids know that they're acting crazy because they're buying poison corn, and they want to keep perpetuating that by sending corn out to all 50 states. They're going to export the crazy. I think that they're in denial about the crazy, and they think that, more importantly, if they had the corn sitting there for three years since the first murders in Gatlin were three years, Anyway, to be discussed, (laughs) the entire town is in on the plot. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Whole Foods is going to buy into this. I don't think too many people are going to pick up green slathered corn and go, okay. Sounds like something out of Troll (laughs) 2. The entire town is in on the plot. And even the sheriff tries to murder John and Frank. Meanwhile, Danny romances local girl Lacey, who dreams of going back to New York with Danny. But Micah also is romancing Danny to join the cult of the corn. But the teens corner the townspeople in a town hall meeting and set fire to the building, killing all the adults in Hemingford, with the exception of Angela, who Micah tries to get Danny to sacrifice along with Lacey. When Frank and John interrupt, they run over Micah with a corn harvester and save Danny and Lacey's life. But Frank Redbear dies from an arrow wound inflicted by one of the evil children. Stupid white man. Is it irony that it's an arrow? We'll get there too. They burn Frank's body in a pyre and then Angela (laughs) versus calling the cops. (laughs) Having a proper funeral and finding out what his wishes were. So much to say about that (laughs) funeral pyre. Then Angela, Lacey, John, and Danny drive off to where we'll never see them again. Yay. While we see the spirit of Frank Redbear still (laughs) out in the woods as credits roll. Maybe he'll be in all the sequels. I'd be okay with that. That we know that the corn has turned, the green is gone. Will we see any brown arrows for Children of the Corn too, <laughs> Or just the red of bleeding children? Colonel, husk, or pat of butter. These are my qualifications. Could I laugh at this? I'm hoping for butter. Is there something good about it? Maybe a kernel. If nothing's here, then it's a husk. I know it's a red arrow. That's without a doubt. Well, right with the opening credits, we already know technology has evolved since 1984. Instead of animated cornrows, now we have a video toaster. 
It's Predator, right? That is he who walks behind the corn, the Predator. We get Predator vision here. Yeah, you're right. It could be. Hubie. (laughs) You've been moonlighting in other movies. That's what he was doing in the late 80s. Okay. Being in better films. Or at least one. He who walks behind the rice paddy. But they're getting facts wrong. Not only does it not look like the right place, but they say that they've found 50 bodies over half the town. Now, Gatlin had 900 and some odd people in it. We knew that. Well, you asked what the children ate. (laughs) They had three years of feasting on those other 850 bodies. Okay, maybe, maybe. I, I didn't put that together here, but I just thought they were being sloppy. It begged the question, why tie so closely? Why do a sequel in which we're picking up days later when it has been eight years since the last movie and probably nobody has it fresh in their memory if they're watching this? Yeah, we were told at the beginning, a young couple told the cops about this crazy town. This is literally like a couple days later from that last film. And I don't get, I'm confused at the beginning. We get some people, I I don't know, they're in a basement and there's dead bodies, but then were some alive? I thought, oh, there's going to be zombies in this film? I was confused. Or were those just more dead bodies that were poorly shot, so they look like they were moving? They should all be skeletons. It's been well over three years. I mean, if corn goes bad after a year, I can't imagine how green these corpses should look. But yes, we're imagining that those are where they piled up the parents. All of them are supposed to be dead, and yeah, I kind of go with the petrified, stretched skin ones, but a lot of those bodies look really fresh, and I think that's just there for the gore hounds. You want to see a corn knife through someone's head? Let's get that out of the way early. And there's a lot in this movie for the gore hounds. Not much for anyone else. I don't know if it's for gore hounds. It's funny, though. Whereas the last one, it could be argued they were trying to be an atmospheric horror movie with a slow build. Here... Yes, we're always grateful when we can get to a death scene of a repugnant character. They are the best moments in this film. We have repugnant characters everywhere, including our leads. The people on the road this time are not a couple not having sex. They are a father and son who... I guess they're taking this trip as a bonding experience. I don't know why they've left Long Island to go on the road here in Nebraska. Well, I kind of paid attention to that. And the father, he used to be a legitimate reporter who's in the doldrums. He's now a tabloid reporter, but chasing real stories. And when he was a teenager, he had a kid and the kid's mother pushed the child off on him this weekend because she was getting remarried to a man that Danny won't talk to. They call him Shithead Sherman. Okay, I didn't realize that time frame. Okay. I, I'm starting to wonder if, is this the signature thing in any corn film? You know, usually in some franchise, there's something that happens in each film. So in each corn film, are we just going to get a crappy couple, like, driving through Nebraska that bicker the whole time? Because we get that with John and Dan, the father and the son. Now, Arnie, my question is, I get that the son has been pushed off with the father. He's got to watch him for that weekend. John's a tabloid reporter. I thought they were just driving through like he was taking his son home. But he, he was actually headed to Gatlin to do a story? Or that's just happenstance? I took it as he was there to cover the Gatlin murders. No, no, he has to be told about the Gatlin murders. He doesn't know until they nearly collide with the news van that's already reported on it. The story broke an hour or two ago. He only finds out he gets his tip by having an auto accident with those people. No, no, no. He doesn't know the details, but he knows he's there for murders. But he's trying to find out what kind of tips can you give me who to talk to. But he's not just traveling from New York to Nebraska on a weekend trip. He's coming to talk about the Gatlin murders. Oh, that was not clear to me. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So if you were going to investigate a child cult killing adults, you'd really bring your surly teenager that hates you anyway to tag along? Really? I'd have given him a hundred bucks and said, go have fun. 
He is 18. You could do that. Yeah, you could. <laughs> well, come on. The, none of the adults are too smart here. I mean, here's a town. The kids just murdered, well, I guess three years ago, murdered all the adults. And they're like, now nah, we're just going to adopt them. They just need some love. <laughs> no, they need to be put into an institution, be deprogrammed from their brainwashing. You don't just put them into your bed and breakfast and hope they're cured. I saw the corn. That's all they're saying. They're literally in a trance saying, I saw the corn. They are not ready for suburbia yet. I mean, they're just not. And there's this evil character, the old school teacher who used to teach in Gatlin before she knew to get the hell out, Mrs. Burke. And she's like the harbinger here, and she's the smart one. If we let them in the house, we'll end up dead, just like their parents. I mean, they make her off to be the wicked witch, even riding in on her bicycle. Literally, yeah. But she's right. Yeah, she's not the evil character. The evil character is Dr. Appleby, who is inspecting their throats and giving them lollipops and saying, okay, send them to Hemingford. I'm laughing. I I don't know if that's a pat of butter. I'm not laughing because it's legitimately funny. It's just so absurd and dumb. It's country crop. Yeah, it's margarine. It's not real butter. (laughs) I can't believe it's not really a Children of the Corn film because we're now in Hemingford. They're moving away from Gatlin. I guess Hubie takes it on the road, though. There's corn all over Nebraska. Yeah, there's cornfields. He can actually travel to the 18 miles to the next place. It's still the same monster, right? That's what we're expected to believe. Same monster, even that animated, whatever, it pixelated creature from the last time. That is still here, peeking out of the corn, watching this father and son go to the B&B. Yeah, but he got an upgrade. Instead of being pixelated, hand-drawn animation, now there's a computer behind him somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Like I said, Lawnmower Man, the clips that they show, the, it's a very short trailer, but I re-watched it. The clips that they show make you believe this is happening in a cyber cornfield. <laughs> because <laughs> when I go to cyberspace, what I want to see is harvesting. I am God here! We got seven more films. There's a good chance we're going to get that movie. <laughs> Farmville, here they come. I, I, I think we're going to get corn in the hood, cyber corn films coming up. Do they go to space? That's <laughs> yes. all I need to know. I actually think you're right about corn in the hood, Jacob, but that's <laughs> oh. urban harvest. But yeah, here they stay in Hemingford. I'm okay with the slight change to one town over. No, I think that's a good change. You know, Gatlin's destroyed. Have this curse go from town to town. Hemingford was supposed to be the sanctuary town for Vicky and Bert in the last film. That seems like the logical way to go. Now that's going to be the bad town. The one thing I don't like is how closely they tie Hemingford with Gatlin, though. Because when you start saying, I live in Hemingford, but I taught in Gatlin, and you make them like sister towns, it becomes far less believable that Hemingford didn't notice Gatlin was empty for three years. Well, some do. We'll find out there is a conspiracy of adults, I guess, like the gas station attendant, that allowed Gatlin to be what it was. It was only because, I guess, Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton spoke up last time that they are outed. But I think that this town would have kept the secret going for years to come. But this is a horror movie, and unlike the last one, it's going to follow conventions a lot more. Because immediately, you mentioned that John came to town and needed to ask questions. Of course, he asks a couple of jerky teachers. TV reporters Bobby and Wade, and they get lost in the corn. Although, I gotta say, Bobby was the only black man in this film, so part of me was really hoping he wouldn't be the first kill. (laughs) 
yeah, there's two of them here, 50-50 chance, but he's the first kill. I gotta say, again, I don't know if I'm scared by this. I'm laughing, though. A, a stalk of corn cuts his throat? <laughs> Slits his throat, yeah, exactly. Hey, listen, I told you guys last week, corn stalks can cut. I was a petrified eight-year-old boy fleeing through corn. I came out bloodied and cut. I Okay, I'll take your word for it. I'm not saying it would have gotten to my jugular, but it was some nasty paper cuts. But then Wade is impaled by a flying stock of corn like this. Not scary. It's not unsettling like that diner scene last week. I'm laughing, though. This is dumb. It's not laughing because it's genuinely funny. It's dumb, and it, I'm chuckling along with it because I can't believe what I'm seeing here. Hubie doesn't need the kids. That's the honest <laughs> truth. Is These kids would be a lot more fun if Hubie were making corn stalks murder people. I think that that is what they're yes. missing here. If they had little Isaac in the hat pop up every now and then in white face and say, I will get you. That would have been enough children for me in this corn. The fact that we have to then say that this pops up with Micah and his cult is where this movie really goes wrong. I mean, they went wrong with by making it, but it really goes off the rails towards a husk rather than being a pad of butter by focusing so much attention on Micah, who is no Isaac or Malachi or really even a Rachel. Yeah, you know, he kind of seemed like Malachi to me. Like, the kid's got gusto. He sure yells all those lines really loud. (laughs) He's committed to corn. Yes. He's also got one hell of a bottle job black haircut. I mean, you know he's going to be your new Isaac from the very beginning because his clothes and his hair are both so black they're almost blue. Yeah, he reminds me more of, like, David from Roseanne, though, than... Isaac. Like, he just seems like a sad goth kid to me. <laughs> yeah, the, before it felt like they were rural kids, this doesn't look like a rural kid, and the name, I, I guess it's the, they're still going with Old Testament stuff, but he doesn't have that fire and brimstone as a preacher. I mean, he's talking about light in the corn, and I'm not seeing the light. The problem with his name is all I can think of is the movie Eurotrip. Only you, Arnie. <laughs> Only you are thinking of it. Yes, well, in that movie, he thinks he's talking to a Micah and then realizes he's talking to a really hot Mika. So that's my only reference for the Mika name. I knew he was going to be evil. I was surprised he wasn't evil from the get-go, though. From the very first shot when we see him, the camera does this dramatic swoop around him and then up to angle to his face. Like, he, I thought, from scene one, was Isaac's disciple. And isn't he? He's not. He was one of the children, but what the good people were saying was mostly true. These kids could have been deprogrammed, and we get that when Micah is having dinner at the Angela's Bed and Breakfast and just talking off the record-ish to John. Micah was trying to be deprogrammed until that night. Oh, that one night when he went walking in that cornfield and was taken down a giant CGI vagina tube. A literal rebirth. Okay, I didn't realize that they're saying that's when he was perverted. I was suspicious of him. Well, he's a kid coming with a bunch of other kids that have all killed. I mean, he was in Gatlin. He's getting a ride from the bed and breakfast woman in a red convertible. He's not smiling. And yeah, I just presume he's evil anyway. I don't I don't see this as a possession story. He already committed the murders. Yeah, there. I agree with you, Arnie. There's that really bad, I don't know, Sith lightning drawn all over him. At first, I didn't. I thought he was killed. I thought that was Hubie striking its first victim. But yeah, later on, I realized when he shows up, I'm like, okay, he's been possessed. He is now the new Isaac that will be preaching to these kids. Yeah, I mean, maybe I've seen the Lawnmower Man 20 too many times, but... 
Only you. <laughs> when I see Micah go down this tube, I'm wondering what I'm seeing when he's being chased by these black spores. What we're seeing here is, in my imagination, what happened to Isaac initially. This is how you become able to commune with he who walks behind the rose, is there is a possession, the black molecules merged with Micah's body, and what came out the other side was a demonic Micah who could speak with he. It doesn't matter. I don't really care. He's not a compelling villain. He doesn't have the presence that the actor did last week, any of them. And I just don't buy into his cult. You know, he spends the rest of the movie trying to gather the local kids, trying to recruit new ones into his corn cult. Who would listen to this guy? I don't think those are local kids. I think he's just gotten together with the Gatlin gang. Yeah, I took it as those were the Gatlin kids. Because there's one guy, he's supposed to be a kid, he looks about 40, wears some overalls, but... Yeah, Mordecai. No, clearly later, they have a like a Blood Brothers meeting where a girl gets her hand pricked and it's bloody pan to bloody hand and he's saying Hemingford and Gatlin together at last. They are getting new recruits. Oh yeah, later on for the first half of this movie, it's the Gatlin gang seeking out revenge against the adults of Hemingford for whatever reason. For giving them a home and hospitality and food? Yeah, it's so awful. Yeah, and if you knew your these kids started a cult in corn, don't let them go do that at night. Like, yeah. have them sit home and watch TV. Take them to the YMCA and play some basketball. Don't let them hang out in the corn. <laughs> Very bad adults here. They These adults may deserve to die over the ones in Gatlin. They deserve it. I'm with Burke, <laughs> and so I'm sad that she's the next victim here, is that the school teacher that knew had the common sense to know that this was a very bad idea to, to strow these damaged children throughout the town. Well, they come for her. They've actually been having a vigil. They're, like, just standing in the middle of her yard when uh, John, the reporter, comes walking by, and they've drawn a hex in the mold on her porch they know that she's going to be a problem for them so they come for her next and she gets a wicked witch death yeah here's the thing with mrs burke again she's right but she's also kind of dumb and i'm concerned that she's a school teacher like she says her husband 15 years ago walked into the corn and never came out like she's had a mistrust for this corn but she stuck around for 15 years like she didn't get out of there i'm leaving today And she's taking her house. When she said that, I didn't think she meant it literally. I'm like, you know, house movers are expensive and not very fast. And the next time we see her, her house is on hydraulics. Yeah, I'm like, that's a figurative use of speech. Nope, literal. She jacked up. So she can move it, apparently. I have only seen that happen once before in any media, and that was a Dennis the Menace after school cartoon. (laughs) I wasn't even sure it was real. They did it for the Brady Bunch uh, TV reunion movie in the 90s, just by the way, so it must be real. (laughs) Of course. There we go. The Brady Bunch defense is inarguable. Yep. I'll allow it. (laughs) What is, is there a purpose, though, for using this Wizard of Oz analogy here like you you just answered it they obviously love the wizard of oz and they've portrayed her in such a way and so she even has the line what a world yeah but what like okay corn i guess kansas i don't know kansas is close to nebraska i don't <laughs> yeah it's uh it's all that these people know about the midwest so that's the reference is wizard of oz and so that's what we're going with I couldn't believe it. I was shocked when they had, yeah, she says, what a world. Her legs are sticking out from the bottom of the house. I was just waiting for someone to uh, steal her shoes and have her feet curl up. Well, meanwhile, in addition to the old hag, we have a young hottie join the cast. Lacey, soap opera star. Any of you guys watch Days? I was certainly addicted during the 90s. Christy Clark, hottie. 
Yeah, I, I'm hoping she's over 18 because, man, she is showing some cleavage off in this film. She's much older than you. She's even older than me. Good. I, I don't feel as creepy now just leering over her throughout this film. She's discovered underneath a waterfall? Like, she's in jean shorts? No, no. Her first intro, she's just riding around on a moped, like, <laughs> <Yes>. taunting. <laughs> in this, like, crop top. Yes. Yeah. Every time she's introduced, it feels unnatural. I keep waiting to understand her role here. I think that she must be in on it or something negative about Lacey, that she's a lure. She's bait in some way. But she's, no. I mean, her parents did get killed, but she didn't kill them. She literally just is neighbors of this town and knew these kids, but never fit in with them, never was a part of their killing. She's just literally here to be the girlfriend of the juvenile delinquent Danny. Yeah, she's showing off her titties. She she did not want to be in this fundamentalist cult where they had no TV. Why is she under a waterfall? Like, that seems weird. There's a waterfall in Nebraska. <laughs> she lives with her aunt and uncle, so she should have a home shower, right? <laughs> hey, I, I ain't complaining that she's publicly showering, but it seems weird. I, I'm complaining because she's doing it clothed. True. Good point. But I kept expecting that she would have some point because she seems almost completely separate from this entire movie. You've got everything tied together with Gatlin and these kids. Even Angela, who owns the bed and breakfast, took in one of these kids. But then you have Lacey come in of mysterious parentage. You never see who she hangs around with. You never see what she does. Is there a school? Does she go to it? She wants to leave Hemingford. Well, who wouldn't with all the murders next door? But I expected there to be something more to her. There is nothing to her. I just think it comes from the mentality of we need to give the male characters female counterparts. While this romance is blossoming among the teens, the dad is also going to strike up a relationship with a retired executive who's now running a B&B. And why do we need to spend time with this? I think just because you need TNA in a horror movie. I mean, there's a gratuitous sex scene. But it's completely devoid of nudity. Yeah, it's a lot of in-shadow, blue light kind of garbage. Half nipple. It's stuff you'd see on Days of Our Lives. It's bad. Yeah, I don't know who it gets hot. Maybe Hubie likes it that way, but I... He likes the hole in the sheets, you know, like the Amish. (laughs) Who I can't piss off because they don't have iPods to listen to us. (laughs) Take that, technophobes. But yeah. But yeah, these romance, you know, this is not a love story. That's one thing I know about Children of the Corn. We do not need to be spending time on the romance. Do we need to be spending time on the reservation? Yes, because we need a pandering uh, Native American to explain all the mysticism. Again, I'm laughing, not because this is funny, but I cannot believe the places this is going. Like, we have our magical Indian now. What's really weird to me is he comes in halfway through the movie. This is a 90-minute movie. The first 40 minutes are Native American free. There's no discussion about, you know, to go to some Stephen King tropes. There's no Native American burial ground under the town or anything like that. So when John is going through the Gatlin school and this Native American mystic shows up, all of a sudden I'm like, you needed to build up to this somehow. You can't just whack me out of the blue with a Native American mystic. I mean, you got to give me visions in the beginning like Val Kilmer in The Doors. I mean, this movie ends with a vision. Yeah, you got to have something to set that up. I just never saw this as a story about Native American mysticism, but I guess it's a Poltergeist 2 thing. It's a trope man thing. (laughs) We've discussed the use of the Native American. Beware the dark water. Yes. Not a fan. In the best of circumstances, I certainly didn't need it here. 
I was a little bit happy, though, that at least he was an anthropology professor and not, like, medicine man or something. It seemed a little bit more modernized that he wasn't wearing a headdress and living in a wigwam. Right, he's not in the village, people. But, yeah, it's it's close <laughs> enough uh, for me. I'm not certainly going to give it points for, uh, you know, positivity of, of culture. No, this is a pandering portrayal. But then again, in a corn film, nobody comes out looking good. I'm hardly offended. I'm more just annoyed. But all this stuff that he starts spouting out about, he says, Kianas Swatsi. No, Kawana Scott. You clearly haven't watched any Philip Glass documentaries. Kawana Scotsi? It's like yes. a three-hour movie from the 80s where they show time-lapse photography and play the same two notes forever. You're right. I have not seen that. It's a trilogy. There's three films you could actually watch like that. Yeah, we could do the... Let's do the whole thing! I agree. <laughs> Kawana Scotsi, Pawana Scotsi, some other Scotsi. Yeah. <laughs> but he talks about how man needs to be at balance with the light, the earth, and the water, and white man doesn't agree... This never plays into anything. Well, this is what confuses me. We're going to get this conspiracy about corn mold and all that. I'm like, is that what's causing them to go crazy? Is it that we've pissed off the Native American gods and they're striking back like they drop lines out we've pissed off the earth? I'm like, or is it Satan? You're giving me a bunch of reasons with no answers here. I think we're supposed to see it from a naturalistic perspective. Native Americans know the earth, so he's going to be able to provide the answers for the whole corn mold thing because... Yes, he's really, without that, this reporter would never broken that story about the aflatoxins that are causing all the homicidal behavior. Everything, most of the murders we see, we're going to see somebody die of a nosebleed in a church. We think it's because there's a kid in the back pew with a voodoo doll sticking it, but no, he breathed some aflatoxins and that's why he had the nosebleed that killed him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? Like, yes. is that what causes the uh, remote control to take over the wheelchair? and throw her through a window too that wasn't really the remote that was toxins in the air the aflatoxins were causing the kids to kill the woman (laughs) so yes everything is because of corn mold that is why every murder happens presumably from the last movie too hubie must be pissed i can see why he's behind the rose i would not show my face in this film so when you burn that toxin does it cause a face in the cloud like i don't understand this here's the thing though this movie is really fucking confusing because yes there's this whole aflatoxin which could be a very scientific way of looking at it perhaps this film's actually trying to go deep where you can be a creationist or an evolutionist perhaps if you're an evolutionist then it's all the aflatoxin and the aflatoxin is making the boys go nuts and making nosebleed deaths and all that but if you're a creationist, then there's he who walks behind the rose. You know, I think this movie is as one-sided as Planet of the Apes. And in this case, it's in the side of creationism, though, because we see Hubie's face at the end of this. The aflatoxin is a red herring. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense from what we've seen in the last film, what we see in this film. I don't believe it's spores that are as funny as I think it is with that remote-controlled wheelchair. I, that's not caused by spores. Come on. That death is great, by the way. I just it want is. to point out there are many deaths in this, and almost all of them are bad. Yeah, the doctor gets stuck by a thousand hypos, and that gives me nothing. And I like that there was a Chucky callback, though a little girl has a doll that says in the Chucky voice, I like to play. But by and large, I'm not smiling through these outlandish deaths. The Wicked Witch house falling did not do anything through me, but her sister getting it and being thrown through the bingo hall window, it's, that, it's the dummy. I mean, there's just something priceless about that. It is the one and only time I laughed in this movie, is when Miss 
West gets it in the street. I'm laughing overall. I mean, because they're so silly. It, again, that nosebleed. I, I feel like that last film, that second act, nothing happened here. Stuff happens. It's stupid, but it's kind of stupid entertaining, at least. I'm laughing while I'm watching this. I'm laughing at it, not with it, though. But it's laughing with itself, too. I mean, it knows it's stupid. When the body comes through the window and the guy goes, bingo? I mean, obviously, it's in on the joke. This is that more Chucky sense of humor. Not good Bride of Chucky stuff stuff, but like Child's Play 3 Chucky stuff. Yeah, they're heading towards, when I talked about horror movies having a sense of humor in the 80s, I'm talking about that stuff. You're right, Arnie, that was the later 80s, and I guess the first Children of the Corn was on that cusp. It was still trying to be a straightforward slasher, but here now, they know that there's no way to present corn cobs killing people unless you write it as jokes, and so that's what they're trying here. I only think that this Bingo Hall one is successful. You can YouTube it, that's all you need to see. Now, during all of this, though, Micah is trying to seduce Danny to the cult. And I think this could have actually been an effective plot device if I believe for a second, either through Paul Scherer's performance or the writing, that Danny might do it. But Danny, despite his rebellious, I'm going to get on a bus and leave this town in the opening, never comes across like he's close to murder. I think like if you'd gotten a darker kid, a more disturbed kid, it could have been compelling to see if he was going to really just join the cult out of free will or aflatoxin inhalation. But here, I find this to be a real waste of my time. Here's the thing. You'd believe it if Lacey seduced him into it. If she were using her feminine wiles to get him to join the club, I believe he might go for it just to nail her. But do I believe that he hates his dad so much that he'd join a corn cult and kill every adult? No, I cannot buy that. Yeah, maybe it's because we see it when we first see him. He's got a baseball jersey on. I just figured he's some kind of jock and hanging out with a bunch of rural kids in the cornfield. I don't know. Yeah, this is 92. He should be wearing flannel. Yeah. Yes. If he had the flannel, I might buy into it. But yeah, there's just, there's nothing I buy about him that where he wants to hang out with these kids in the field. You're right, Stuart. Lacey should be the one that's enticing him to do this. That would be believable, not Micah. That could be some kind of twist you could throw here as we get towards a finale as we thought she was innocent, but she really wasn't on it all this time. Oh, that bikini top, there's nothing innocent about her. Maybe she's even Hubie. Maybe Hubie takes a human form here. He does. It's Micah. Ugh, I just don't care about Micah, but you're probably right. That's what we're meant to fear here as we head towards the climax. But again, I think it's all undermined when we find out that aflatoxin is causing these kids to do that and that there are adults here. There's a sheriff, the doctor's in on it. They actually are paying off government inspectors. The FDA is being paid off so that they can sell this killer corn and infect America so that, you know, I thought Silver Shamrock had a bad business model. (laughs) This is ridiculous. But they eventually tie up the reporter and Red Bear to a pole and say, let's grind them up. I love it. They're like, we're going to make it look like an accident. What forensic (laughs) investigator is going to be like, oh, yeah, tie to a pole. There's rope here. There's a pole. CSI (laughs) Omaha might not catch on. I don't know. I'm just saying they may not get it. Nothing about that looked like an accident. Yeah, he can't shoot them because then there'd be some explaining to do. But two men tied to a post in a combine happens every day in Gatlin. 
Man. They're city folk. They're not from around here. There's ways of spinning it, I suppose. But yeah, the sheriff has other things to do than murder them. I love that he's got to go to the town meeting that they're going to burn down instead. He can't wait that like 30 seconds yeah. for the harvester to get there. I mean, who's going to turn the harvester off? Is that just going to keep going? <laughs> just go for miles and miles and miles. They'll never see it again. <laughs> That's an expensive murder there. And it's not like this is a James Bond thing where the sharks or piranha will eventually eat him. This was like 30 to 45 seconds of waiting. He could have yeah. showed up a bit late for the town hall. He could have stepped on the gas a little harder, sped it up. Yeah, it was totally under his control. But because he's lazy, I guess they get to, they just sort of pull themselves out. It's not even a very deep pole. They they, they pull the pole out of the ground and then they hatch their revenge. I guess that's what they're doing here. They come back into the climax in that harvester to save the town, to save the girls that are being sacrificed by the corn cult. But this is after the really good fire scene where they kill all the adults. And only one shot shows me the fire is a good six feet away from the building. Yeah, all the adults, we barely got to know these people. The only one that I paid attention to was the reverend. And he was so busy in his sermon that he didn't notice one of his parishioners dying from a nosebleed. I have no sympathy for this town burning up here. They deserve it. They were stupid. And they paid the price. I kind of felt bad for the wife of the guy with the nosebleed. She seemed to be a little confused by the whole thing. But yeah. They do kill all the adults, so the body count's quite high. Not bad for, again, a 90s film. But yeah, the very end when they're trying to get Danny to kill Lacey, the only thing that caught me was that he spends so long just with that machete in the air. I'm like... Is he really considering it? This guy's a poor actor. I'm just going to call it out. I I get nothing off him to know if he's repulsed by the thought of killing Lacey, turned on by the thought of killing Lacey, or just waiting for the caterer to bring around another burger. Yeah, I couldn't tell if he was actually being turned towards the corn cult or not, or just waiting for short round to hit him with some fire to bring him out of the trance. <laughs> if you thought Danny was bad, I feel the same way about Micah. I mean, he gets sucked into the Chiron <laughs> chip here for the climax, <laughs> and it gets the devil face. I do wonder if some of the effects team did come over from, not Hellraiser 3, but Lawnmower Man here. We get a little bit of more cyber corn as uh, we get some kind of climax in which basically Red Bear does everything. I mean, he mows over Micah and he gets the girls saved. I gotta say, screw this film for making me think of the Mangler when Micah's robes get caught in that corn harvester machine. I'm thinking of the Mangler. And I'm like, ugh. I I gotta think that was intentional. I'm happy I never once thought of the Mangler. (laughs) I'm upset I thought of the Mangler. (laughs) But I did think that Micah might live. Because when you see the demon face, this is he who walks behind the rose leaving him so that he can continue to exist. So at this point, Micah has no longer been possessed. So Red Bear kills an innocent child at that point. That's all right. Red Bear's dying anyway. He could take out some kids. He's not going to have to face the law. Yeah. Stupid white kids. They watch too many horror movies. He doesn't care why they did what they did. He's not interested in their motivations of their cult. He just wants somebody to pay. And I don't blame him. I do too. He's an anthropologist. He should care a little more. And is it supposed to be a turnaround that he was killed by a bow and arrow? I mean, it would have only been worse if he was scalped, right? (laughs) Yes. Again, I cannot believe some of the things they do in this film. Not because they're good not because they're innovative, but just bad, bad decisions. Just bad taste, really, is where I'd go with that. But then, once Micah gets run over and has a little bit more Sith 
lightning. That's it. Where did all the other kids go? Is it just like Mike is gone, so screw it? To the next seven films, I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing that they got reintroduced to culture and yeah, they're listening to Nirvana. They got they know that there's other things to do and life is about more than corn. It was a phase. It was a fad. That was my corn year. And now I can focus on being goth or whatever. And they decide to just not call the cops or the FDA about the corn or anything. I assume that the corn's all burned down from this funeral pyre. (laughs) Well, there is a fire that starts nowhere near as big as the last one. It catches the harvester on fire and I think they honestly reuse some footage of the last film with both He Who Walks Behind the Rose underneath the ground. I think that was just a lift right out of the last film. I don't think they rigged (laughs) something up and I think they reused a little bit of the fire burning cornfield scene too. But they never burned the barn with the aflatoxin. They just burn Red Bear instead of calling the cops and saying we'd like to report a murder. Yeah, what I love is like they stand there for 30 seconds then walk away while he's still burning. Like there's no cleanup. There's a dead body. There's going to be a burned corpse just like lying there. (laughs) That's got to be dangerous. There's got to be toxins coming from that eventually. But not as bad as the aflatoxin. I guess. They'll only drive you half crazy. Whatever they failed at doing, we shouldn't make the same mistake. Let's warn them about the toxins coming off of Children of the Corn 2. So Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice? Jacob. Red Arrow. Not recommend. I'm just going to say that right now. I I don't think that's a surprise. This is what I will say, though. I enjoyed this more than the first Corn, and maybe because this is a silly film. It doesn't try to be serious. It's dumb. You you said it, Arnie. It's bad taste at times. I don't know. I like films that are in bad taste. Whether it's intentional or not, they go to places they should not go. The deaths, again, I'm kind of chuckling at them. I feel like Lawnmower Man, you kept bringing that up, Stuart. That's a good reference for this. It's dumb in a shocking kind of way, and so I found that more entertaining. I didn't have to put toothpicks in my eyelids to stay awake during that second act in this film, so it's not a pat of butter, it's not a brown arrow, it's still a red arrow, still a not recommend, but a goofy, farcical, dumb take, which I found more entertaining than the last corn film. So, a nugget? It's a red arrow. I'm not a... I I don't get all these corn terms. I'm from the city. (laughs) Stuart. Just you wait till you get to the urban harvest. I think that's coming (laughs) next week. But, uh, no, pure husk here. I mean, there's like maybe a dollop of butter for a laugh or two here with the desk. But other than the wheelchair flying into the bingo hall, I did not smile. I was frowning. And I'm not immune to this. I just want to point out that we have been here before in the Stephen King world. We've seen a surly kid and his dad go to a small town and have a misadventure that I recommended. It was called Return to Salem's Lot, and that movie had a Z-grade midnight movie kind of campy fun that you're talking about, Jacob. And I got that vibe off of this one. Yeah, I didn't get the same vibe. Not even close. I got incompetence. I got boredom. I got a movie that was trying to give me plausible scientific answers for its horror mythology and getting in even deeper in its stupidity. I mean, the problem is I think these people are still trying to make a legitimate horror movie. It's not campy enough to be buttery fun. It's just a horrible, horrible husk. Avoid at all costs. Strong not recommend. And I also was thinking about Return to Salem's Lot. I mean, there's really a lot of parallels between that and this one. And I think that one did a much better job of having the female seductress bring in the boy and make me think he might turn against his dad. That female seductress, by the way, played by Tara Reid, who, as an aside... I had her sign my Return to Salem's Lot DVD. 
And she told me it was the first time ever somebody had asked her to sign it, called me legit, and high-fived me for bringing it. Did you plug the podcast? Did you tell her to listen, to hear all the nice things we say about her? I actually don't remember what we say about her. It was nothing good. (laughs) I said nothing kind about her in that podcast, and I have nothing kind to say about anyone in this podcast either. Come on, Lacey. You gotta be nice to her. Yeah, I'm sure if you tracked Lacey down, you would be the first person (laughs) that she would sign their Children of the Corn 2 VHS for. You're probably right, although I own this on DVD. Thank you very much. Not letterboxed. It does not seem to exist letterboxed. Listeners, if you can turn me on to a better copy, please do. But no, when I'm trying to think positive things about A Return to Salem's Lot, a movie I did not recommend, I am obviously having a hell of a bad time with this one. What you guys found to be jokey, I actually found a little bit to be eye-rolling. I kind of like the Chucky, I like to play, but the bingo thing, that was a groaner of a groaner. That's something like your grandpa finds funny and no, 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 not the joke. The dummy in the wheelchair flying through the window. That's what's funny. Say, but they think it's bingo, and it's not. And this whole movie, I would have respected it more if it could have committed to aflatoxins or committed to the demon story. But because it tries to have it both ways, it just is a muddled mess of a film. I will give it some props for a really cheap 1992 film, having good makeup for about 10 seconds of a demonic face, and good CGI for about 20 seconds, 1992 good CGI, long more man CGI here. But no, this is a stark red arrow. And I remember watching this again, brand new in 93. And at the end of it, I just said to myself, this is some shit. And I decided to never watch a Children of the Corn film again. (laughs) And I stuck with that. Can we do that now? Can we take a (laughs) poll? I'm game. We don't have to complete this, right? We can just walk away. I'm afraid of what is coming down if it's gotten this bad this quickly. Oh no, this movie made enough money to justify an urban harvest. Ah, urban harvest. Here we go. You know, that sounds like camp. That sounds like butter. I'm hungry at this point. I've had one kernel and one buttery husk, and I'm ready for some more flavor here. So if I must wade through the trash, let them go big with it. That's what I've got to hope. I know nothing about an urban harvest other than I presume that they go to the city to uh, bring uh, Hubie to the uh, ghetto. I don't know. We'll see what it's like. Well, we will find that out next Tuesday. And in the meantime, if you don't want to wait till next Tuesday for for another movie review or you want to hear a movie review of maybe a good movie our fall donation drive silver level donation starts this friday with peter jackson's live action the lord of the rings fellowship of the ring so silver level or platinum level donors will be getting that this friday and gold level donors well you're in for more children of the corn because me gold leprechaun series starts next friday so jacob stewart thank you for joining me and malachi will be back next week malachi will be back next week i'm leaving now i'm gonna go find some people and tell them about what's happening here in gatlin i don't think they'll believe me at first i don't think i believe it myself they will eventually you guys all belong in an asylum somewhere. Looney Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Congratulations, Tiger. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty much all you need now that the Sopranos is dead and buried. <laughs> 
Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based on Stephen King's books and short stories. This is the word of he who walks by in the rose. We do this work for Shiny Shadow. At our sister podcast, BooksAndNachos.com, you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original Stephen King books and short stories on which these films are based. You should look it up. You still remember how to read, don't you? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Maximum Overdrive, The Mangler, Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and more. Find dozens of Stephen King movie reviews at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Well, these kids watch too many horror flicks. Also at our website, you can find reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Silent Night's Deadly Night, Scream, Transformers, Robocop, and hundreds more. Movies are filled with violence, blood, Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. Can't you for one moment conceive of something in this universe that's larger than you? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. $200. Uh uh, Joby. How much? Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. I don't want to be the one in charge when the heads start doing 360s in a hurling piece soup. Now playing credit narration by Brock. He filled me with the words. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Now playing podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. That won't matter to Isaac and Malachi. They'll take it as a sign. You speak for the others or only for yourself? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I am the word and the giver of his laws. Disobedience to me is disobedience to him. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. So what do we do about the children? Tell their story. Let the healing begin. It's not too late for that, is it? No. Perhaps this film's actually trying to go deep, where you can be a creationist or evolutionist. If you're an evolutionist, you want to know that there's afrotoxin, not afrotoxin, what is it? <laughs> yeah, man! <laughs> Pass the doobie, and let the fuzz are coming. What, what decade are you in, afrotoxin? <laughs> it may as well this be, the I mean, with these Native Americans in this film and everything. What's the toxin called? Aflo? Okay. I was just surprised such a pentable woman had a cat named Elvira. Elmira. Oh, well, then cut that one. (laughs) 
and it gets the devil face. Hey, that looked like my demon lover level makeup, so kudos to you, direct-to-video corn sequel. I don't know what that means. Is that praise? <laughs> it's not. It isn't, but, it, but in Arnie's world, it is. Sometimes Arnie can compliment. If you're like Eurotrip, that's a good thing. Who knew? <laughs> Make it like Armageddon, and it's good. Okay. Bad boys for the fucking win.